Hi, and welcome to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. As members of the body of Christ, we offer love and encouragement to everyone. As Pastor Alex leads us through God's Word, we hope you will be lifted and filled with joy as we open our hearts and minds to the love of Jesus and the hope He gives us all. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series on heaven. And... Uh, to begin with, many of you were here a few weeks ago when we celebrated the life of Connie Ford. And uh, Connie was a volunteer staff member in our bookkeeping department for a few years. And uh, in the last few months of her life, her health was failing and eventually she went home to be with Jesus. And uh, what I remember about the, the service is, A, we didn't call it a funeral, we called it a celebration of life. Several of you shared about your relationship with her and uh, her best friend and roommate, um, Noel, thank you, uh, has some great stories and uh, there's a lot of moving things to share, but some funny stuff too. I mean, we laughed. And uh, the great thing about being a believer is that you can actually celebrate and actually, because the reality of heaven is so real, we can just go, woohoo! It's a reality. Connie is dancing, having a blast with Jesus right now, even as we speak. So I just got, I just got this thing. I think we need to put the fun back into funeral, don't you? <laughs> if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, I don't really think that's a good idea. But I want us to understand heaven is a reality. It is our future home. And this morning, one of the things I want to emphasize is there's no possible way a human can act confident when facing death if they don't have an assurance that Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior. And that they have a home in heaven and their name is written in the book of life. No matter how many people you might have talked to who said, oh, I'm not worried. It's no big deal. And they might have been able to kind of psychologically do some gymnastics in their brain and just say, I, I'm really going to force myself to not worry about that. But the fact is, death presents an unknown set of possibilities that no one who's alive has ever encountered before. So in their heart of hearts, even those who say, ah, I'm not too worried about it, there is an underlying fear that is very, very real. And we've got to make sure we understand that those who don't know the Lord have to have an assurance that's born out of the Creator's heart, not just out of some kind of self-help or personal positive thinking attitude. There has to be a fact of salvation, the reality that heaven has been guaranteed one way and one way only. By the way, I, I asked for some cards last week. If you have questions about heaven, um, would you fill out a card? And I got a couple so far, and I want to cover one of those with you. I, there's a miscommunication meant to have more of these in your bulletins. They're not there. So if you want to write a question on the back of something else and give it to me, uh, we'd love to answer it next week. But here's the question. Do you immediately go to heaven when you die, or do the dead rise only when Jesus comes back? That's a great question. A lot of people have theorize that there's this condition called soul sleep. That because Jesus hasn't yet returned, those who die as Christians just kind of go into this sort of middle ground of waiting period until Jesus returns. But the Bible is very clear. Philippians 1.23, Paul made it 
perfectly clear. He said, I would prefer to depart and be with the Lord, but he has called me to stay here for now. In other words, he was saying it's either or. Either I'm on earth with you or I'm in heaven with Jesus. There is no middle ground. He said in 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's either or. There is no middle ground. By the way, the word purgatory appears nowhere in Scripture. Originally, it was invented by man so that those who weren't quite saved yet could kind of have a little extra time to get their act together and come to Jesus somewhere in the middle. Does not exist. It's either or. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Paul says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, talking about the second coming of Christ, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That means there's going to be a reunification of those whose bodies are in the ground, but whose spirit and soul are with the Lord will have a reunification at the coming of Christ so that their old body now becomes a glorified body and all three are together as one with the Lord. So yeah, there is kind of a separation of body, soul, and spirit for a season. But as far as our awareness, our conscious being, we are with Jesus the moment we hit the grave. We keep on going. Amen? So it's a great question, and I just want you to have confidence that um, if you're a believer, if someone has left, there is no kind of nether world they're floating around in until things get finished. Um, what I want to do to start off, you know, last week we, had, we talked about the Blue Angels. They were here in town, and it was an amazing experience, and the, the photos were awesome. We saw a video of a gal that got to ride with one of the pilots. And, and, and what I'm trying to impress upon us is, you know, we have a hard time conceiving of heaven a, because there's not a whole lot in the Bible about it, or what is in there is metaphorical, or it's, it's just so far out, it's just kind of hard to imagine. So I, I like to think that God gave us things in the physical realm that, that actually help illustrate Amen. what it will kind of be like, but a thousand times better. So one of those things that I've, I've done is I've, I've taken a look for some of those photographs taken by the Hubble telescope, and um, I have been blown away by the the power and majesty of outer space that this telescope has been able to capture and send home. And uh, one of the things that is so amazing is there are, there are solar systems and galaxies in outer space that don't just fill you know, the heavens with all this kind of obnoxious, weird, random stuff, but there are designs that God has created when he called the stars into being. He absolutely went nuts in terms of creativity. And I think those are demonstrations of what is kind of, heaven's going to kind of be like. Um, there are a few that are very odd and unusual. All of those rigid looking kind of lines are actually clouds. There are gases and vapors. In fact, uh, there was a, a season before uh, Mr. Hubble, the astronomer, became uh, famous and began discovering things when they thought the nebulae those stars and cloudy, gaseous things beyond the Milky Way were nothing but just kind of fuzzy things until the Hubble telescope got beyond the Earth's atmosphere. They discovered their entire galaxies, very hard and fixed stars, suns, moons, planets, everything. They're not just gases floating around. Um, that particular telescope was invented by this man, literally, who, who lived a century ago. Um, Edwin Hubble, born 1980, I'm sorry, 1889, died 1953, established what's known as Hubble's Law. Hubble, first, long before this telescope, 
discovered that the universe is always expanding, always ever expanding. Never before proven or even theorized, scientists and astronomers thought it was a fixed thing. But one of the things that began to occur in Christians' minds were that yes, there definitely had to be some kind of big bang that started it all. And of course, we know who the big bang is. His name is Creator God. And that everything that once it began continues to grow and expand. And perhaps some people even theorize it's just a theory that because he's a creator, he's still creating. Who knows? But Edwin Hubble finally discovered, because of the, the development of new telescopes back in the early 1900s, this is no longer a theory. It is now a fact. The telescope itself was initially scheduled to launch in 1983, but because of the Challenger disaster, remember? Upon takeoff, a few minutes later, seven astronauts were killed in a fiery, fiery, frightening blast. That was 19... 90, and um, no, that was, I'm sorry, that was 1983. It happened that year, and so the whole Hubble telescope project was put on hold literally for 10 years because no one wanted to take the risk of seeing astronauts killed again. But by 1993, the shuttle Endeavour, the shuttle program had been relaunched, had been improved upon. The problems with the O-rings that caused the explosion the first round were fixed in 1993. The Endeavour took astronauts for some repair. Wait, 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 I skipped the part. 1990, it finally was launched. This is it. 83 to 90, there was no, huh? It was 86. It was 86? Wow, you are so smart. I was, I was in high school, I remember exactly. Wow, that's pretty good. I read 1990. Anyway, somewhere in that span. 86, Oh, 86, okay. It was scheduled to be launched in 1983. Challenger exploded in 86. Okay, thank you. And then uh, in 1990, the Hubble was finally launched, and the problem was once it got into space, they found that the mirror was ground improperly and is pretty much useless to take the photos they had hoped to take. So by 1993, that's when Endeavour went up, took astronauts up for repair and modernization, and uh, this is now 10 years later after the initial... Um, desired launch. They now had 10 years worth of technology to bring along as well as not only to improve but replace the lens on this eight-foot mirror. And so technology had ramped up incredibly. So now uh, in a world record five spacewalks and an 11-day mission, the thing was repaired. And so during that time, um, several of the Astronauts were in outer space, five separate spacewalks. This is one of the cameramen taking pictures of the crew working on the Hubble, and here's what he was looking at. So I, I couldn't remember the quote, but didn't you hear an astronaut once say from space, this is like the land where the angels live. This is like heaven. You have to understand, God has given us concrete evidence of at least the possibility that heaven exists. And the technology to do things like this, to go places like that, so the entire world can now see that these are free photos from NASA on, on the web. So that we can possibly consider that God is telling the truth, that heaven really does exist. 
And then you begin to understand because the Hubble telescope is able to get outside the Earth's atmosphere with absolute clarity, without all the distortion of oxygen and nitrogen and all of those things, there is almost nothing between that lens and the things beyond. Incredible solar systems and galaxies that God, by his finger, created and by his spoken word. The one that looks like, literally, some stalag mites going up from the ground of a cave uh, are called the pillars of creation, but it's really just gases. The most fascinating one is the one called the eye of God. And it's just a, a galaxy and stars and all those things that he created. So what I, what I want to point out this morning before we jump into the scriptures is there are a lot of reasons why you and I want to go to heaven. There are a lot of reasons why Everyone you know, in their heart of hearts, if they knew what you and I knew, they would want to go to heaven too. The problem is lack of information. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of people who just don't care. I remember talking with a close friend once about heaven, and, and she said, nobody really knows. No one can know. She bought into the lie that mankind just can't possibly know all the mysteries of the universe, so why even try just give up? That's such a sad commentary. There are all kinds of reasons why we should believe that heaven exists. And the first one comes to this, because eternity is a reality. It's not just the place called heaven, but the concept called eternity is a reality. I love this verse in Romans chapter 1. Paul says, that which is known about God is evident within those who don't believe. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been what? Kind of sort of hinted at? No, clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they're without excuse. In other words, the evidence is so convincing, he's going to have every human stand before him, even those who say, well, I, I didn't know, nobody told me. Sorry, you have creation to look at. And so the evidence is so clear that at least eternity exists. Now, the Hubble telescope doesn't prove the existence of God. Proving is a scientific concept that requires hard and fast, repeatable evidence. But the Hubble telescope and all those galaxies out there in outer space do give evidence that suggests there is a God. And it's important to make that distinction because a lot of times Christians get cornered into feeling like you have to prove God. Uh-uh, ain't going to happen. I mean, you can say Jesus rose from the dead to prove he was God, but even that may not be believed because you can't reproduce it and you can't make it happen again. It's not a concrete fact you can put in front of you, which is what science requires. So as far as they're concerned, it could just be a theory and even made up, a fantasy. So we can't prove the existence of God except to ourselves. I mean, he proves himself to me every day when he answers my prayer, changes me, grows me, and develops me, and heals me. But what it does do is provide evidence that God exists because God's signature is everywhere on everything. By nature, if you, if you think about, I would say everybody you know, there's this natural bent towards a place called home. Everybody has this desire to just kind of be settled and safe and secure. And that might be a physical home. It might be a, 
a long-lost relationship kind of home, but ultimately it's, it's God. It's evidence of God's calling that our true home is in heaven with him. And everybody has this longing that there's, there's kind of a search going on and we're not quite there yet. That in itself is evidence that eternity is, exists, something more than what we have and what we see right here. Because we are eternal beings made in God's image. We're not just physical beings. We're spiritual. And if we're spiritual, spirits don't cease to exist. Spirits are not corporeal, meaning they don't have flesh and blood. They're other than. And spirits are going to have an, an eternal existence somewhere. And so it's important that we recognize this is all evidence that, that God is there because eternity is there. And even though sin has marred and distorted our reflection of God's image, it's still there. There's still a calling. There's still a voice to be heard. There, there's still an ability in human beings' lives to hear the voice of God. And it's all because he has put evidence in all of creation, not just outer space, but inner space as well, that he exists. So I like to think about it like this, um, ignoring the evidence of God and the whole heavenly realm is kind of like ignoring love. Just because you can't see love, put your hands on it and, and force it into a place or a shape or, or reproduce it automatically or have scientific evidence that it exists, everybody who's got you know, any sense at all knows love exists, right? But it's invisible. You know when you're experiencing it, you know when you're not. And the same is true about God. Ignoring the evidence of God is like ignoring the evidence of love. You know when it's coming towards you and you know when it's not. It's not tangible, but it's real. Second reason people want to go to heaven, actually, it's because most people believe in an afterlife. Now, I'm not saying you need to go there because everybody else does. That's like saying everybody else is also smoking pot, so you should. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is the fact that there's this overwhelming population of humans that have had a similar experience on the inside says, hmm, it can't all just be made up. We can't all just be a bunch of fools. There perhaps was something created into the DNA of the human heart. And certainly there is. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Solomon's writing, he says, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. He put this, this call, this cry, this desire for eternity in the heart's of every human, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. That last part's a little confusing, but you have to remember Ecclesiastes was written from a strictly human viewpoint until the very end of the book. This is life without God looks like this. It means that we are in the dark. We don't really know what life is about, what the future holds, whether there is a God or not. But, but Solomon is saying, but there is this thing called eternity set in our hearts. CBS did a poll a little over a year ago, April of 2014, on the afterlife, and they found that of the people they asked, 75% of Americans believe in the existence of heaven and hell. 17% don't think either place exists. And I can tell you, it's not because they all go to church. Those 75% of people have just this sense, yes, we believe heaven and hell exist. Among those who do believe, 82% expect to wind up in heaven. 
Now, I've talked to those people, and I've always wanted to ask, based on what? You know, and you know the old answer, well, I'm a good person. I've got, you know, my good deeds outweigh my bad. But 82% expect to wind up in heaven. Listen to this, 2% expect to end up in hell. I mean, we've heard people joke about that. Hey, I can't wait to get to hell. All my friends will be there, you know. Yeah, good luck. Um, the 9% don't think they'll be in either place. So the fact is, even among the secular world, people are asking the question, answering the question, yeah, there's got to be something after this. And that can't just be chance, or like I said, a lot of people are misguided, or that we've all just agreed to believe something unrealistic. I think it's God setting eternity in our hearts. If someone says to me, you know, I don't really believe in heaven. In fact, I had a young friend say that to me during the school year. I don't really believe in heaven. I said back to him, does that make it so? Just because you refuse to believe something, does that take it away? It's like saying, I don't believe in China. It doesn't remove it from the globe. It's there, whether you see it, like it, believe it or not. You have to understand, we are under heaven. Human opinion of God and his realm really have no impact on its reality. Does that make sense? You can't wish it away. You can't wish him away any more than you can wish Jesus away. So if you have a friend or a neighbor who, who you're having this conversation with, boy, give them a couple of challenging questions. Say, just because you don't believe something doesn't take it away. Because you're not bigger than it. It's not a figment of your or anyone else's imagination. Mark Twain, famous author in early America, was one of those people. Shortly before his death, he wrote, and let me quote this to you, a myriad of men are born. They labor and they sweat and they struggle. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for just a little. They try to take advantage over one another. Then age creeps in, infirmities follow. Those they love are taken from them and the joy of this life is turned into aching grief. Finally, the release comes. The only unpoisoned gift, girth, uh, gift earth has ever had for them. And they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence, a world which will lament them for a day and forget them forever. Tragic, tragic to think that's what life's all about. Most people believe there is life after death. Why? Because most people have had an encounter with that still, small voice. They've seen the evidence of a creator. They sense that eternity's been set in their heart, and they've at least in some incremental way moved in the direction of looking, seeking, trying to find answers for that mystery. So you'd be on the right side of the majority if you would follow suit. Another reason you want to get to heaven is because you do want to avoid hell. It's just not a place you want to have on your bucket list. I just really would recommend highly against it. Why is that? Well, there are all kinds of verses on hell. Of course, we can only cover a few things today. But um, this was a fascinating comment Jesus had because he's speaking to the leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and Jewish religious elite, the guys who knew the Bible. They really had a sense of what God was about their problem was they weren't living up to what they knew. And so Jesus was going to call them on it. He says, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's referring to everybody else. 
but the religious elite. He's saying all kinds of people, Gentiles and Jews alike, are going to come and they're going to make it to the feast at the kingdom. But the sons of the kingdom, meaning the Jews, will be cast out into the, into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a destination I really want to pursue. Most pictures of hell in the Bible are described as either outer darkness, which simply means utter, complete, inky blackness. Not an ounce of light. The Bible calls God the God of light. In fact, we sang about that. In him there is no darkness at all. Can you imagine? Most of us can't. Where there is 100% absence of light. Most of the darkest days and nights we've ever been through has got a twinkle, a fleck of light somewhere coming in. But can you imagine zero light? And that light doesn't just have to do with illumination. It has to do with the, the character of God completely absent. Meaning all of the goodness, the love, the purpose, the, the compassion, the kindness, the hope, the future, anything positive in your world disappears completely. That's hell. Outer darkness. And that's why people are weeping uncontrollably, endlessly. Even, they can't even die their way out of it. That's hell. It's continuous and eternal separation from God. By the way, God doesn't send anybody to hell. They choose it. God is not about sending anyone to this place. He has never, ever, ever been. Even the most wicked, evil person in the Bible, yes, he judges them and there's challenges, trials, and disciplines, and all kinds of things. But his heart of hearts is that all would come to repentance. But he sends no one to hell. So you don't want to go there. It sounds like a place you definitely want to avoid. Some people say, you know, I think life on earth, this is hell. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is gravy. Are you kidding me? Compared to what that's going to be like, it's not even close. A lot of times it's sort of an escape, sort of a funny, humorous way to, to get out of a real conversation about it. But the truth is, the actual separation from the God of light is going to be more horrendous than anyone can imagine. This is where Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. Hebrews 9.27. We have one opportunity to get right with God, and that is before that day comes, when we stand before him face to face. It's, it's not a second chance opportunity. This is an appointment, by the way, you cannot miss. You won't be able, to, you can try to miss it, you won't miss it. It's appointed for us once to die and then the judgment. As someone has noted, the statistics on death are appalling. 100 out of 100 people die. I mean, it's horrible, it's awful. Success rate is zero. We're all terminally ill with a disease called death. So why would anyone ignore the only escape out? Who is Jesus? So when Jesus makes that presentation, I have come to be your righteousness, and I will take your sin from you. We'll have this divine substitution, my life for your death and your sin and your judgment. You go free. I'll carry it to the grave for you. Why would anyone refuse that? And finally, the reason you want to go to heaven is because heaven is real. And it's not because, and I, I don't mean to make fun of that wonderful story about the four-year-old who had incredible visions of heaven because I, I believe it's probably true. I'm not going to discount that. But the interesting thing is that um, a lot of people are more quick 
to believe the story of a four-year-old than to listen to Jesus or to read their Bible and find out what does God say? Who made the boy? But the fact is, heaven is real. And Jesus said in Luke 24, while they, the disciples, who were hiding out in the upper room, afraid of the Romans who just murdered their Savior, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Remember the scene? They're all there kind of huddling, and, 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 and there's no Jesus to be found. They're afraid he's gone. Someone stole his body. They don't know. And suddenly he walks through a wall, literally appears through a wall, or perhaps just kind of manifests himself out of the atmosphere. We don't know. But it's a miraculous appearance. What is he demonstrating? He's demonstrating several things. This is what glorified bodies get to do. You're not bound by the limits of this world and this life. This is what happens when you conquer death. This world, this physical existence has no power over you. You've, risen, you've transcended from everything that limits you on earth into the place called heaven, the spiritual realm, the kingdom of God. Wherever God is, everything about it is now true about you. That's real. That's real. Evidence. He didn't show him heaven. He didn't take him to heaven. But he said, just let me give you kind of a clue, give you a hint. Death has no power over me. Walls have no power over me. This is what all of you who are born again will get to do along with me. Once I'm resurrected, not resurrected, but I send to the heaven, send the Holy Spirit to you. You're born again. Boom. It's all yours. So it was clear that being religious wasn't going to be enough. Being a churchgoer, being a, an educated spiritual elite is not enough. He says, you must be born again. This morning I want to just conclude by saying, a lot of us know this. It's, it's old hat to us. So perhaps today you've been kind of inspired again, reminded again, maybe life right now is pretty tough, and you just need to remember, okay, this is not all there is. There's more for me to look forward to. So that's encouraging. It's inspiring. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep pressing in. But for a lot of us, it's the people you know and love that need to hear. Maybe a little snippet at a time, just incrementally. But eventually, we've got to take responsibility for those that we care about and just say, Lord, would you open a door for me to tell the truth about you and about eternity? So I want to challenge you this morning to continue to pray for those that you know and love who don't know the Lord yet, or you're not sure if they do, or have an incomplete understanding, and just talk about heaven. Go online and find some Hubble telescope pictures and talk about that. Just start there. Uh, get a book. A, a friend of mine loaned me this beautiful book. It's called The Heaven Book by Billy Graham. They have an answer book. Buy a copy of this and, and give it to somebody and say, hey, read that and tell me what you think. There are all kinds of ways that you and I can be salt and light in our world. So, Father, thank you so much for the, the glory of your creation that just so powerfully demonstrates that there is something, someone out there. But Father, you've gone so much further. You've given us your word to clearly identify who that someone is. It's you. And then you've sent your Holy Spirit to make it even clearer, to provide proof to us, Lord, that you exist because you've come inside and caused us to be born again. Now would you, Father, give us strength and encouragement not to give up in the face of our current trials, no matter how challenging they are, no matter how different they become, different than we, what we expected. 
Lord, would you encourage us that nothing is too difficult for you, that we still have a hope and a future. We have a Savior. We have the Holy Spirit. We have one another. We have your word. And most of all, we have a future that cannot be denied. A life that's imperishable, will not rust, will not corrupt, will not be faded away. So help us to walk in strength. And then, Father, give us the courage to tell our friends and our family about you. In Jesus' name. And the church said? Amen. 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 Well, may God bless you this week. Um, if you want to take a look at this book, I'm just borrowing it, so don't wreck it, but I'd love to uh, have you come and take a look at it. And uh, if you need prayer for anything at all, please don't hesitate to come. Let's pray for the God of power, God of the universe to move. All right? God bless you. See you next Sunday. Yes, God's Word is so awesome. Thanks, Pastor Alex. I hope this message blesses you as it does me. We have an awesome time of worship during each of our services. We have infant and child care available, as well as complete children's education program. We host the Wildfire Youth Programs Wednesday evenings. Be sure to visit our website at rccfoursquare.org. Here's a final word from Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.